Hey guys, Tony Palo here from Equipping for Life. I am here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to coach you. I'm here to empower you. I'm here to teach you tactical tools to overcome. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we'll see you guys around. Today, we're going to continue our series third part here, the Equipping Church. Today, we're focusing on don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. Small groups. We're coming out of Acts chapter 2 here, verse 42, all the way down to verse 47. And this is what the word of the Lord says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. I want you to notice something here. Any home, anywhere Jesus went to, he ministered. Anytime he went to somebody's house, there was always food. If you go to one of these, if you sign up to any one of these small groups and there's no food, report them to me. Like send me their name and they're going to be disciplined. There's, I mean, there's always something. Always. And, and this is it. They, uh, uh, they, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. The only, the, uh, let me say it this way. The government will not create a structure to unify the country. I'm going to say that again. The government will not create a structure to unify the country. Republican president, Democratic president, independent president, Purple Party president, it doesn't matter. In the last two years, we've seen division over COVID, over masks, no masks, vaccine, no vaccine. It doesn't matter. The only unifying power is the power of the Holy Spirit. Actually, the church should be the experts when it comes to unity. Okay? And this is where Paul says that we should agree on all things. So they, they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I'm going to tell you what that means exactly. This is really important that we grasp this. Okay? So we, we help. We, we, don't, we don't do handouts. We hand up. There's too many people on the wagon and not enough people pulling the wagon. Disciples are not ones that keep doing this. Gimme, 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 gimme. We have a lot of people in this world. I think the word they call it is entitlement. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Disciples don't do this. Disciples say, gimme your hand. You know, I could give you fish or I could teach you to fish. Okay? So if we help you today, 10 years from now, don't struggle with the same exact. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives, is housed inside of you. So when it comes to discipleship, that means growth in every area of your life. Financial growth is so important. Financial, I call it the financial discipleship where we help you and teach you how to, what's that word having to do with money? Budget. I know some people are like, can't say it. Where you don't spend more than you have. How many of you heard that? You heard that before, right? 
No, seriously, you heard that before. That's really important. We teach you. The whole aspect of a disciple here, the people who are in need, this is so important. People who are in need, I know Jesus said you'll always have the poor among you, but even poor people know how to rise up and make an impact. And if you're in that, if you're in that place where you're, you find yourself constantly in financial need, go to, go to Cumberland Gas, uh, uh, go to Cumberland Gas, the, the gas station, and, and Cumberland Farms. <laughs> I don't look up. I just pump it. <laughs> Buy five $5 gas cards and give them away. Pastor, I can't afford it. Do it anyway. And watch God bless you. And watch God take care of you. And watch God grow your finances. Because we've, we've come to custom with people who are in need. We've come accustomed just to make everything around us. We've become so egocentric. I, I need the world to help me. Where true discipleship is teaching people to get off the wagon and help us pull the wagon. Okay? Next verse. Every day, every day they continue to meet. Every day they continue to meet together in the church building. No, in the temple courts, which is the ecclesia. They broke bread in their homes, second reference to food, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. But even so more, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day, what day? When Jesus comes back. As you see the day drawing near, get together even more. This is it here. Now, I'm, I'm really intrigued that over the last 50 years, science, data, all, all the research, they, they're really consumed over the the physical and mental health effects over those who attend church, all right? They're so consumed. And recently, in 2016, Harvard University and Vanderbilt University performed a study where they analyzed subjects who attended church and who were part of a supportive structure, all right? So they analyzed their subjects who attended church faithfully and were part of a supportive group. And they analyzed their blood pressure. They analyzed their cholesterol. They analyzed their stress levels, and they analyzed the inflammation that was in their body. And, la and lastly, they analyzed their mortality. Like they would said, people who go to church live longer. This is what their basis. And they found that those who attended church had lower inflammation. And if you know anything about inflammation, inflammation is the base of all sicknesses. If your body has inflammation, then yeah. So that's what they say. But they're really intrigued, though that part of this support and part of this faith structure, they said that doctors should mention more uh, being, a part, being a part of a church structure because it's, this is such an underutilized and unutilized resource that if you attend church and it's part of your faith structure, that we should pay attention to it. When I went for my master's degree in counseling, the, the whole research and the data was out there, but not enough psychologists and psychiatrists we're really saying if they had a client that was faith-based and they're asked, what helps you overcome your anxiety? Going to church. 
They didn't use that as a resource because they were like, nope, that's faith-based. But that's their resource. And they, there was a, really a whole power that wasn't utilized here. And when we opened this building back last year during COVID, we opened up July 3rd. I, w- I really wanted to make some changes. I sought the Lord. I was really asking for wisdom, which really every day, about five times a day, 10 times a day, 20 times a day, I asked the Lord for wisdom. And I, and I started thinking about going organic. It's all about organic church. If I ever stop eating meat, yeah, I could never be vegan because I couldn't eat cheesecake. But I decided to, I started being interested in organic church because when you think about hybrid church, hybrid church is adding stuff to it, adding all the fancy stuff, the bells, the whistles, the smog machine, the music, all the techiness. That's hybrid. But our organic churches just leave it alone. The early church, what did they do? It was teaching, prayer, and eating. That is it. We read it in Acts chapter 2. That is it. Now, the key thing, there's two things that I noticed wasn't mentioned in Acts chapter 2. The first thing was outreach. I'm like, I didn't see any outreach. We're doing outreach today at 1 o'clock. They didn't have any planned, hey, let's do outreach because, remember, they didn't have a building. So the community saw in high definition, in 4K, people and their lives and their families getting saved and restored. So people in the streets got saved because they saw. So there was no planned outreach because there was no, hey, let's hide in a building with four walls and then go home, eat, take a nap, and then go to work tomorrow morning. The church was in the temple courts. The church was in the streets. And this is really important to remind you as an ecclesia church, they are the ones that determine the social order of the day. So a lot of what we're struggling with now where the government is taking the reins for for moral things, the government is taking the reins for social things, the church should take those reins back. But the problem that I see is we're attempting to take those reins back on Facebook, debating with people. You know, trying to change people's minds. We want to give them a debate. We want to give them an argument. But what they truly need is an experience with Christ. And when you have an experience with Christ, a debate will never win an experience. So I can have any kind of debate with any atheist because you can't debate my experience. I've had a life-transforming experience. And you might be smarter than me, but you didn't know, you don't know what Christ did in my life. So the key thing with outreach and I remember back in the day, I, I tried to change, help change people's mindset. And they would invite me to hand out tracts. And they would say, Pastor Tony, come on. Let's go after church. We're going to invade darkness. We, God has given us the sniper anointing. We're going to drop a bomb. It's like a truck. They're not going to know what hit them. I'm like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. Because outreach, outreach is really natural, everyday conversations. And when you're led by the Spirit, those natural, everyday conversations turn into supernatural opportunities. And all you do is talk about, let me tell you what God did in my life. We heard Tanya when she came up of of how she overcame alcohol. I tell you what, if you overcame alcohol, you know what I'm talking about, Chuck. If you overcame something and you have another conversation with somebody that's been struggling... You said, yeah, I overcame that. I've been sober for five years. I've been sober for 10 years. I've been sober for 35 years. 
Your greatest tool is your story. Your greatest tool is the fact that God did something in your life. And whatever God delivered you from, that's where you start. And another thing I didn't read in Acts chapter 2 was not only outreach, but I didn't read anything about worship. You know, we carve worship into a 35-minute experience, and we say, that was worship. Great job, Pastor Josiah. I feel better. Now I can go home. Hopefully this lasts until next Sunday. But we, worship is not a 35-minute experience of words that we read off a screen. Worship is really not about a song. Worship is a life that we live through an unseen God. And, and, and if you have problems on a Sunday morning reading words off of a screen, then I'm going to ask you how your life of worship is. Because all this is, when you see these people worshiping here, that passion, that energy, I mean, we kind of really get it. I thought about it as well. We really get into this thing. Sometimes we get just a little emotional. It's a little bit too much for me, Pastor Tony. It's a, but that's what happens. When you think about you almost dying and God saving you, you just get a little excited when you sing a song about Jesus loving you. Sorry, not sorry. When you think about, man, I used to be so wild. I can't even tell you what I used to be. But when I start to get together with other people next to you, and then you get excited, and then Pastor Josiah goes in, and then Hannah hits that high note, and then Haley starts, she takes her heels off and starts walking back and forth. Ain't no stopping us now. We're on the move. So now when I go out there, that, that's worship. That's a worship service. But true worship is my life out there. It's not the screen. It's, it's living my life through an, for an unseen God. So my life is advertisement to the greatest atheist that God is alive. I don't have to debate. I just got to live. I just got to tell my story. Again, worship is. And this is why we encourage you. When we're sitting together with worship service, man, just be excited about what God has done for you, man. And just let that surface, let that come out. You're, the excuses, the excuses that I hear, this is not me. My, I took a personality test and it says that I'm an introvert. That's all nonsense because you've made worship about you than about God. So you're all internal, all intrinsic, all ego, egocentric, and everything's centered around you. But when we go to that wedding, I see you break dancing on the floor over here and twerking. If you don't know what twerk world is, don't look it up. You know, you won't be interested. Whoever said that? Justin? Older people, you just forget about it. See, true worship is those who worship him in spirit. And in truth, through your, your life is worship. Your life is the biggest platform that Jesus is alive. This is it. This is it. And when you're led by the Spirit, these natural conversations result in supernatural results. Every mention of the church was mentioned in a small group, in a home. So we opened up the church on July 3rd. One of the things that I really wanted to do was we came back and we said, how are we going to be different? That was a good question, right? Did you ask that question for yourself? Did you? I mean, coming back from COVID, I know we have about another six months to blame everything on COVID, right? Oh, it's COVID. Yeah, everything we can blame on COVID. But we, we sought to come back and said, how are we going to do things different? Because honestly, we weren't, we weren't in a rush to open the church. 
I was not in a rush to reopen this building. And we worked harder when the church was closed. I'm like, what is happening here? And the reason why I wasn't interested in opening the building, because I was so proud of our leadership team, because as soon as we closed the building back in March, let me get, can I just be honest with you as far as what I was thinking back in March when we shut down the building? I thought the world was going to come to an end. I thought, I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is it. Jesus is coming back soon. Get your world, get your life in order. Make sure your life insurance is intact. Buy that flat screen TV that you've always wanted to buy. And that's it. I thought, I, I thought that was it. But two weeks later, I'm like, okay, the world's not going to come to an end. Jesus is going to come back still. Um, um, let's, let's engage. And I'm so grateful that the leadership team now, because we've always preached and taught and lived that it's not about the building, right? So now we have to shut, we shut the building now. Some churches were panicking. Some churches asked me, let's get together and sue Gina. She's not interested. Happened two or three times because they thought if Pastor Tony gets involved, other pastors will get involved. I said, I'm not getting involved. Would you think about it? No. Would you pray about it? No. I said, we're actually doing good. We shut the building down. I wasn't in a rush to reopen it because I saw the church be the church. I saw the church, and anytime somebody said, oh, pastor, please, let's reopen the building, we kind of restructured their mindset, reset, re revamped their mindset that we've always preached. It's not about the seats. It's about the streets. It's not about the building. It's about the bodies. So now we have an opportunity. We shut down for several months. Let's see how the church responded. And let me tell you something. The church responded. And I realized this, that I wasn't looking to be in a rush to come back. And, and, I, and I realized that discipleship, wasn't centralized around this table. Discipleship was centralized around your table. Discipleship, that's why I say the Sunday morning meal, if that's your only meal, you're going to starve. If all you see is this table, if all you see, there should be at your table a Bible bigger than this table during your week. So discipleship doesn't happen this is not the focus of discipleship. The focus of discipleship is at your house. Discipleship is better at tables than in rows. And one of the major things that we did, which was a big decision that we made, and in my mind I said, we got to, if you have a vision, and sometimes you have to deconstruct religious activities and, and traditions that we think are right because we've done for so long, but they don't accomplish the vision. We got rid of our Thursday night. We had a Thursday night Bible study. Now, why did we get rid of our Thursday night Bible study? Because we had people making really tough decisions, and I helped them make decisions. And the decisions they made was, Pastor Tony, I can't be, I have every night of the week that I'm doing something. Should I go to my small group with Pastor Mike, or should I go to Bible study service on Thursday night? I said, go to small group. Go to small group. Pastor Tony, should I, 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 I only have so many nights during the week. I'm so busy. I, sometimes I work evenings. Should I go to the 12-step group with Angel and Sheila, or should I go to the Bible study and hear you preach on Thursday night? I say, you go to the 12-step group because that's where discipleship takes place. Now, some people were saying things like, Pastor Tony, man, I'm going to miss you on Thursday nights. I love to hear you preach. You're such a great preacher. I don't know. And, but I've got to tell you, those people are no longer here. So I'm like, come Sundays. I'm still here. Hello. So I had to force myself 
So look at things, and you may have to do this in your life. Because if you have, if you do not have a vision for your life, a vi- I'm talking about a vision statement. You need to come up with one. And if you do not have a vision statement for your marriage, you need to come up with one. If you don't have a vision statement for your family, you need to come up with one. We have one for the church. Experience God equipping leaders, impacting community. So you, we have to make, we had to make real hard decisions that if we're doing something that does not celebrate vision for the 80 people who came out here. And let me tell you, I love preaching. And anytime I miss pe- preaching, I just go on Facebook and preach. I loved preaching on Thursday nights, but I realized that discipleship, the formulation of people's lives, the challenging, the equipping, the accountability, the people getting rebuked, the, uh, really took place in your homes, not from up here. So these are some of the things that happen in small group. They, you receive accountability. In fact, there was the uh, two gentlemen that got together and created Alcoholics Anonymous. Out of accountability, they kept each other accountable for drinking. And they said, let's stop drinking together. So true accountability, right? Don't come to us and say, I I need you to hold me accountable. We'll hold you accountable. If you're going to ask to be held accountable and you say, I need you to help me stop smoking cigarettes. This happened when I first came to the church. I need you to help me stop smoking. I'm like, I can hold you accountable. They come to, if you come to church smelling like cigarettes and you got a big Marlboro in your pocket, I'm going to take the Marlboro and flush them down the toilet. And then you get angry at me. But you said, Pastor, I want you to hold me accountable. Accountable is really an accounting term. If you have a CPA, you want, want to make sure that you're in the black, not in the red. Because if you're in the red, we got to make decisions to put you back in the black. So one of the things we help you with is making sure that you are accountable. In the small groups... We encourage you. You might be offended. If you join a small group and someone in that small group offends you, stay. Why? Because it will teach you how to work things through. See, don't run. This is for somebody here today. Don't run from conflict. When we do our membership class, a couple of times people say, oh, I love this church because there's no gossip. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You got to this gossip here. <laughs> oh, what do they gossip about, Pastor Tony? Me. <laughs> you. <laughs> when they get to know you, they'll gossip about you. <laughs> Believe me. That, but that platform is so small because we don't give it credit. Even though we've made it illegal, an illegal activity here, that platform is so small that we don't give it any credit. So what else happens in these small groups? Trust me, there's going to be one time where somebody will say something that's going to upset you. But nothing like that opportunity in that moment to make you more like Jesus. You will be sharpened. This is a place where leaders are developed. This is where you are mentored. This is where you are held accountable. That leadership development, I love that part because as small group leaders, small group leaders know what leaders look like. A leader is someone who, who, who does the right things, who's, who's living in character, that's more concerned about their character than they are about their reputation, who spends more time building their, their fruit of the Spirit than they are living in the gifts of the Spirit. A leader is someone who does what they're supposed to be doing without a title. 
A leader is already making disciples. And, and, and like I said before, it's not about this table. It's about your table. My question is, who is at your table? Who do you have? Who right now are you discipling? Not, I'm not asking, when was the last time you led somebody to the Lord? I'm asking, who are you discipling? Who are you, what's the name of that person that you are walking through, that they are becoming more like Christ? That the ultimate command, the great commission is one thing, make, create disciples. So the focus on our small groups is holistic. It's a natural place for supernatural things to happen. It's not just a place for us to talk about scripture. It's a place where people bring up real issues and see the clash between these real problems and these real crises, the clash between these problems and with the power of Scripture. This is where small groups happen. This is where real life happens. Discipleship is done better at tables than, than in rows. There is no mention of worship. There is no mention of outreaching these small groups because it happened on every day in an organic way. And so I decided to get rid of the Thursday night because... I was like, you know what, let's, and we've seen it over a process of five years where we saw less people attending Thursdays and more people attending small groups. Because when we read the data, when they did the research, they asked the pastors of these growing churches, Pastor, would you rather focus more on inviting people to Sunday morning service or to your small group? Which would you rather do? And the data says that these pastors of these growing churches said, Send them to the small groups. If I had a thousand people today outside in the middle of Providence and they said, what's the time of your services? I would say the time of your services, but I would say, hey, we have 15 small group leaders here. These are their tables. And I'm not giving priority to small groups over service. Small groups is an entry point. So what they'll say is, you know what, Michelle, I like your class. I like you. And if there's more people like you at your church, I'm going to come to your church. What's the time of your services? Grace, I like you. What time is your, you, your church? 85% of people will come to your church when it's based on relationship. When you invite people to come to church in relationship, 85% of the people will come to your church based on that relationship. So the, dad, the question is, pastor, would you rather have someone attend Sunday morning and listen to you preach? And this is a dangerous question. <laughs> Or would you rather have someone attend one of your small groups? And these pastors say, small groups. Because I'm not giving great, greater priority to small group, but small group is an entry point for Sunday morning services into the fellowship of worship services. So my question to you again today is this. Morning, today is this. If Sunday morning is your only meal, how would you classify yourself as a disciple of Christ? I want you to think about this process now. Because so many, so many people have made church and community and fellowship about themselves. Well, that's not really me. I'm an introvert. I, I can't really do that. But when we, when we talk about community, community has nothing to do with your personality. Community has to do with the personality of Christ. So now we're post-COVID. We're a year out of, 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 of the shutdown of the pandemic here, and now people are just hungry to get into relationships. 
People are just hungry to get into, into relationships, into community, and to bring up these real issues and these real problems. And the questions about real life happens in small group right here. So I'm going to encourage you now, when we end the service today, sign, put your name down at least in one or two of these groups here today.